Hey, everybody, I'm Fran Frischella, and welcome to World of Basketball, uh, the podcast that takes you from every corner of the globe uh, regarding basketball. It could be a player, it could be a coach, it could be an executive, but someone who's had an impact on the great game of basketball from uh, every corner of the world. And this week, we have a very special guest. His name is Nick Nurse, and he is the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. And of course, in 2019, about, oh, let's see, 15 months ago, he and his Raptors were crowned NBA champions, no longer the champions. Uh, they finished up a great regular season uh, and lost in an exciting series to the Boston Celtics down in Orlando in the, buzzle, in the, in the bubble. excuse me. But we're going to promote his book, Rapture, uh, which is a great read. 15 teams, four countries, one NBA championship, and how to find a way to win damn near anywhere. And it's a great 35-minute discussion with uh, Nick. We appreciate his time. And uh, before we get into that, if you like what we're doing on World of Basketball, subscribe to us uh, on Apple. Uh, give us a review. Hopefully, you'll give us a five-star rating as we try to bring you interesting guests, try to educate you uh, about basketball that's being played uh, around the globe. And uh, I believe Nick Nurse. Mr. Tyler, Chris Tyler, my uh, outstanding sidekick and producer. That is episode number 19, I believe. This is episode 21. Wow, wow. So we're yeah. climbing up the uh, climbing up the uh, we got we're putting a lot out there. And we're again, rolling. if you like if you like this episode, we've done some terrific episodes already with some interesting characters from around the basketball world, and including Jeff Van Gundy, who talked about uh, international basketball in the NBA, Jerry Colangelo, who talked about USA basketball, great U European coaches like uh, Sergio Scariolo, who's, believe it or not, an assistant coach with the Raptors and the head of coach of the Spanish national team, Ettore Messina, who's back in Milan after a five-year stint with, uh, with uh, the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich and players like Nick Vucevic from the Orlando Magic, uh, Aussie greats, Lauren Jackson and Andrew Gaze. Uh, so many pretty good uh, conversations we've had. So go back and re-listen re to them, or if you haven't listened to them at all, uh, jump on those because we now have, according to Chris Tyler, 21 episodes that we've now recorded. And uh, uh, the season is over, Chris. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, remarkable achievement. Uh, I think we talked about this last week. Uh, for them – and, of course, they had two great players. There's no question about LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. But uh, winning this title in the bubble, given all the things going on in the world, uh, given the, uh, just the uh, uniqueness of it all, uh, I say kudos to the Lakers. Great performance by LeBron and company. Absolutely. And we've been saying this since the playoffs started. This championship may have an asterisk. But the asterisk means it's harder to actually win this championship. This championship should be worth more. And I'm saying that as a Celtics fan. This is one of the hardest championships that any team would have had to win. The Lakers did it. It was pretty much a foregone conclusion that, uh, during the third quarter of game one. So it was a bit of an anticlimax to the season. <laughs> but still, they got the job done. They did what they needed to do. LeBron takes one step closer towards being the GOAT. I don't know what your thoughts are to that. We don't like to compare too much on this show, though, because as yeah. Jeff Van Gundy says, comparison is the thief of joy. Is that what it is? That's what is he says, right? yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Why, why can't we just enjoy LeBron and, and – uh... Michael and uh, and all all the greats. By the way, uh, I made a I made a case for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar 
So being the goat, you know, six titles, six MVPs, 19 all-star appearances, 15 all NBA, 11 all NBA defense. Not that this is all in my head, but it is actually. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think when you talk about LeBron, he's certainly in the pantheon. Let's, let's put it this way. If there's a Mount Rushmore of NBA greats, you can't go wrong starting it with MJ, Kareem, and LeBron. And, and then from there, you know, a healthy argument for the great Bill Russell, who was a great, great champion in his own right. Uh, Will Chamberlain, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember seeing all those guys in their prime, including Kareem. And if you made me, if you made me answer it, who's the greatest basketball player ever? I honestly still would say Kareem because in my era, when I was growing up in the 70s, uh, he was a dominant, dominant player. And people forget that when he went to the Lakers in the 80s, he was still in his prime, but he kind of checked his ego at the door because they had great players like James Worthy and Magic Johnson. And I still believe, Chris, he could have gotten 40 any night he wanted. But uh, it's a healthy discussion, but it doesn't diminish what LeBron James has accomplished, which is a fourth NBA title. And, uh, I think the brilliance of LeBron has been his steady greatness over a 15-year career. Oh, absolutely. And if there's one thing that this championship should do for everyone, rather than comparing, rather than arguing who is better out of him and Jordan and Kareem, whoever else you want to throw into the mix, yeah. just appreciate his greatness. There aren't going yeah. to be many opportunities for us to see someone who's this good at the game of basketball in our lives. So let's just sit back and enjoy it. That's what I did. I said last week on the show about – 10 years ago, or just under 10 years ago, it was probably seven or eight years ago, I decided to stop hating LeBron James and just enjoy (laughs) the ride. And it has been much easier to enjoy basketball when you're actually enjoying what he's bringing to the table. It's fantastic. He's a tremendous basketball player. Just enjoy it. And and you know, the amazing thing, they've all got their strengths and and we can argue about why certain players are better than others. You know, Bill Russell gets lost in this because his stats don't measure up, but he's arguably arguably the greatest team winner in in not only NBA history, but you can make the argument in sports history, right? With, uh, With all those Boston Celtic titles. But I think the greatness of LeBron is just... He once he got into the league and one, maybe after a year or two of growing into his role as a superstar, he has maintained a level of competitive greatness forever and ever. And his teams are always in the playoffs. Seemingly, they're always in the finals. He, he hasn't always had the most talented uh, supporting cast around him. And, of course, this year he's got Anthony Davis and some other quality players but uh i'm with you i'm with you completely um he's easy not to like because people who win a lot you know uh don't like people you know they don't people don't like uh athletes who win all the time and uh in lebron's case in in his case there's been a healthy amount of grit and perseverance and toughness uh to go along with the, the great talent he has so i'd say you know kudos Absolutely. And we should also say, because this is the world of basketball, we did have one international player win an NBA ring. It's, and it's not the Antetokounmpo that you would have thought. Exactly. <laughs> Who would have thought that Costa Antetokounmpo would win an NBA championship before Giannis? Well, I guess a lot of people because he plays for the Lakers, but still. 
But before the season, I think that would have been uh, not yeah. not somebody something that somebody would have thought of. But uh, you're right; there is a NBA title in the Antetokounmpo family. So congratulations to uh, Special K, uh, the older brother, and uh, it's really cool. So uh, hey, here's what we got. In fact, I think Kosas might be the younger brother because I think he's the one that went to Dayton, if I'm not mistaken. But I think so. um, hey, uh, also just want to mention that uh, we have that. Uh, on Sirius XM NBA Radio, our draft preview show, which started on Wednesday night. Uh, it'll be on every Wednesday between now and the uh, NBA draft. Coming to you, I believe, on November 18th. I believe that's the date. Yep. 7 to 10 Eastern time with uh, Chris Patola. And right now, we hope to have uh, Amin El Hassan on every week, who gives us great perspective from an NBA front office. And uh, it, it's, uh, we had a lot of fun in the first show. Three hours worth of banter really broke down not only the players, which we did a little bit last night, but just, uh, you know, the pandemic year, how unique it is that uh, the draft has been pushed back. Uh, Amin always brings us the perspective of the front office, which is great. Chris knows these kids from watching college basketball. And interestingly, Chris, uh, a good year for international players in the draft. It's cyclical. But uh, Denny Avdia from Israel – uh, 19-year-old, 6'9", uh, forward, uh, a, sure, a sure lottery pick. Killian Hayes from France, likely a lottery pick for sure. Uh, Teo Maladon, first-round pick. I think he's another French guard to go along with Killian Hayes. Uh, a young man by the name of Pokashevsky from Serbia who's playing uh, for Olympiakos right now, not not playing very much, but uh, a seven-foot prospect who's got a chance to be a very talented NBA player. So we'll get into some of these guys uh, on that show and talk about the uh, impact international hoops has had on the NBA draft. And much like we talk about on the world of basketball, the impact that international hoops has had on the NBA. And uh, it's, uh, it continues to grow. Yeah, and obviously – one of the kids that you forgot to mention there, Nico Mannion, technically American, but yes. he'll be representing Italy at some stage in his career. We had him on the show a few weeks back, so if you haven't heard that, make sure to go back and have a listen. It was one of my favorite chats. Yes, yep. Nico's mom is Italian, so Nico has played for the Italian national team, and he is a dual citizen, and uh, you're right. We had a great talk with Nico, and, uh, and uh, you know we wish him all the best of luck now as he's about five weeks away from his dream along with all these other great young men who will be drafted on November 18th. So with that, uh, we're bringing you, uh, it's a long monologue, but we're bringing you a very special podcast today because Nick Nurse is a guy I've gotten to know through the years, uh, you know, in the basketball world. Carroll, Iowa, Northern Iowa, University of Northern Iowa. He was an outstanding player, uh, player coach in England. Then he coached in England. That's really, really where he cut his teeth. Came back to the G League, uh, and then from there to the Toronto Raptors as an assistant. And as everybody knows, the story in the summer of 2018 was named the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, and uh, just a few short nine months later, or ten months, he was an NBA champion. And he's got a great new book out called Rapture, with the forward by Phil Jackson, and a great story that you'll hear about today about his connection to Phil. And uh, But it's a great read. Rapture, 15 teams, four countries, one NBA championship, and how to find a way to win damn near anywhere. So without further ado, here is my terrific conversation with Toronto Raptors head coach, Nick Nurse. 
hey, Nick, it's uh, it's great to uh, to have you on the World of Basketball podcast. Yeah, it's great to be on, Coach. Thanks, thanks for having me, man. And uh, it's it's only fitting. I think you and I first first bumped into each other in uh, Treviso, Italy. So being on the World of Basketball, we first met there. I think we were we were cross the hall roommates there at the camp, <laughs> and um, certainly knew each other, heard of each other, but that was our first meeting. Yeah, it's a great place. Anybody who's, who you know doesn't know what Nick's referring to, the uh, NBA uh, Euro Camp was held there for many years, and uh, uh, we both got to be a part of it, and we both got to see, and I'm going to get into this with you, Nick, because of your background, the way international basketball is changing even the NBA. But before we get to that, I, I notice this, you, you've been asked a thousand questions. I've listened to some great podcasts already, but um, what what is it like? being on this like podcast tour promoting a book about it about an NBA championship season and your career when you think about it you, you're a guy from Carroll Iowa well listen it, it's kind of it's kind of strange I think um uh you know you're really letting yourself uh out there a little bit people getting to know you you're telling some Stories. I mean, geez, there's a picture of me as a baby. I think on about page eight. You know, so you're so you're really kind of letting people see uh, uh, in, inside your soul a little bit. Um, and the funny thing is, coach, it just it started out as a as a real small project. The the, kid, the, the young man named Brandon Hurley, who's the assistant sports editor at my hometown newspaper, right when I got the the head coaching job, wanted to do a book about you know coming from Carroll, Iowa and becoming an NBA head coach. And we kind of, I kind of said, yeah, I want to do a book someday. So we kind of started in on it. And then obviously, um, well, he connected me with, with uh, David Black and, and uh, Little Brown Publishing and all of a sudden, it, and, and then we won the championship. So it became a little, little bit bigger project. And um, it's, it's been fun though. It's, 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 you know, you just want people to enjoy it. And, I, and I'm like, you know, for me, I hope there's some lessons in there for some, kids coming out of high school graduating or kids playing college basketball about, you know, working, working and, and uh, setting some goals and trying to achieve them. You may not get there, but if you do get a chance, you know, that you're ready to, to, to seize the opportunity. Well, listen, the name of the book is uh, I, I've been told that if you mention the book seven times during a podcast, that it's how you, how you really promote a book. So this will be the first <laughs> of seven. Uh, Rapture is the name of the book, 15 teams, four countries, one NBA championship, and how to find a way to win damn near anywhere uh, by Nick Nurse and a great writer, co-writer Michael Sokolov, who I've read some of his other stuff, and uh, that that had to be fun. So what you're telling me, and this is what I was going to ask you: this idea about the book happened before the N NBA championship. It was uh, wasn't like, hey, we win a title, let's write a book. It was let's tell a story about this guy from Carroll, Iowa, that uh, you know. Is a, is a first year NBA head coach. Yeah, most of it was, uh, we started in uh, right when I got the job and we had most of it written um, uh, going into the season or, you know, midway through the first season. And then obviously we had to do a, you know, a, a little a couple chapter addition there to uh, cover the, the championship season and the aftermath of that. So it was good. And you mentioned uh, Mike Sokolov. He's, man, he was awesome. Such a gentleman and and really talented, geez. I mean, talk about it's fun to fun to work with people in different industries who are at the top of their game. And man, it was it was fun to see him operate and do his thing. 
I read where he talked about going to training camp in Quebec City last year, just walking around town, eating ice cream cones, talking coaching and life and philosophy with you. That had to be that fun. That was great. I think, I think that was a really important part of getting the book done. He was there every day watching all the practices. And, and in between time, we'd take a two or three hour walk through one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And uh, yeah, we, we'd pop into an album store. We'd grab an ice cream cone, maybe a popcorn or, <laughs> or whatever. And we, we didn't, we weren't, uh, listen, we weren't struggling out there. It was beautiful scenery and, and we were talking hoops. It didn't get much better. No, I, I agree. Well, listen, I want to talk different types of hoops with you because you, your background is amazing. And uh, really, the the, the book, uh, you know, Rapture is the name of the book. And if you are a basketball fan, you'll love it. If you're I've told all my young coaching, uh, uh, you know, mentees, if you will, get the book because, you know, your background, Nick, is uh, they I think I, I always describe people like you as a 25 year overnight sensation. You know, because all the places you've been, it's kind of affected your career. But I do want to I want to touch on the bubble real quick because you just came out of it. And obviously it didn't end the way you wanted. And it, I mean, I watched every game. That's that's a great thing about the, the this summer was that we were just all starving for basketball. But I want to ask you about some of my friends who were in the bubble have told me that it was weird. Now, you went home to your wife, Roberta, and two young sons. What was the transition like? leaving the bubble we heard how hard and satisfying the bubble was to be in it was you know mentally stressful but what was it like mentally getting out of the bubble and going home well it was a total shifting of gears I think anybody that's got two anybody that's got any any children uh understands that um uh you know I was going back I was I was basically kind of in a in a college dorm room you know that I myself and uh all the free time in the world and that free, that free time ends pretty quickly when you go home to a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old right so just total shifting of gears but um you know it was obviously it's awesome to, to, to everybody also knows that as children watching watching little little ones grow up is nothing like it no question i got two two guys that are 28 and 25 now so i, I know that feeling You've been uh, there. You've been there. it's been i've been there uh what um would you have done – now, you guys got a early head start on the bubble because you had to leave Toronto, get out of the country, go down to Fort Myers. Looking back on it, and, and listen, we know all those series were, were uh, hand-to-hand combat. could have gone either way. Your, your series with Boston was an amazing series. Is there anything you look back on that you would have done differently in the bubble, or do you feel like, hey – we had the right routine and it was just a matter of the ball bouncing one way or another, kind of like it did last year for you. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think there's, um, there's, you know, some, you, you need that ball to bounce your way, you know, and you know, a long playoff run, there's no doubt. And we just didn't quite get there this year, you know, got it to one possession really, you know, I don't think we played maybe as good as we could have. Uh, I don't, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to discredit how well Boston played and how well coached they were. And, and they're good, right? They're, they're just good. And I think the teams were very similar and the series played out that way. And there's not much I would have done different. I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, I've already mentioned it. I think a couple of our guys didn't maybe play to their capabilities. And if they would have, ah, heck, we could have been just finishing our season here last week too, I think. That's what made it hard to watch. I think we could have won games in the finals for sure, and so could a lot of teams. So, um, no, I thought we were okay prep-wise, basketball-wise, coaching-wise. 
you know, pretty happy with, with when, I, when I watched you, Miami, um, Boston, I felt like if you'd all played each other 50 times, you, you it would have been 25, 25 or in that ballpark because of, you know, I, I agree. With you. Very, 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 very similar teams. Yeah. Uh, a lot of respect for both those coaches, man. Those guys are awesome. Yeah. That's, we're, that's we're fun. All, that's we're, all fun. Fighting, we're all fighting hard in that <laughs> Were you surprised? I don't know if you, and I know you kind of got away from it and then you came back and watched the finals, but I, I think one of the things from a coach's standpoint is like, I look at a guy like Tyler Hero. He obviously didn't sit around for four months during the pandemic. Like that guy lived in the gym. Were you, were you surprised the way some guys elevated their games uh, or, or, or you're not surprised because you're around NBA players and you figured there's probably some guys that just lived in the gym during the time off. Yeah. I mean, I think um, guys can certainly get better. And I think with a focus to, um, at kind of atmosphere, I guess, of no travel, no games. Uh, you know, you, you really can, you know, it was like a, it was like a summer, uh, even longer, probably even more available time to get better without many distractions because you weren't allowed to move around and you didn't really have to deal with distractions. So I think it was a chance for a lot of people to get better. I think a lot of coaches got better too. I think a lot of coaches were digging in on yeah. game film and, exactly. and studying and stuff too, no doubt. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Now, listen, here's what people need to know. You, you grew up in Carroll, Iowa. I, I want to know, like, when you go to Carroll from Des Moines, do you take, do you go to Ames and go west on 30 or do you have a back road or, because I'm an Ames guy. There, there's a, I, I want to let this out. There's a little secret, a bunch of secret <laughs> county roads you can take and get there, get there maybe 20 minutes quicker. And sometimes I go through Ames because I got some good friends there to stop yeah. by and say hello to. But uh, yeah, you're right, right. Right, right down the road from Ames, Iowa. You yeah, know, yeah, sure. Yeah, about maybe sixty miles west, or yeah. yeah, cool. Great, great place. Great people. I always say, uh, nice is in the DNA of people in Iowa, especially right. the those people in Ames and and uh, Hilton Coliseum and that. So I, I know your area you're well. They love, they love the hoops there too, man. Right? They, 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 they love they, it. They want to win. They, <laughs> I'm sure. And yeah, and you know what? Uh, You've got uh, you've got one of their own on your on uh, on your roster right now, Matt Thomas, who's an amazing kid, man. Yeah, great great kid and coming. He's he's one of those guys that uh, is figuring it out in the yeah. NBA and and uh, advancing his skills and finding out how hard he's got to run and yeah, create yeah. separation, shoot it a little deeper. Awesome, yeah. awesome person. Love having him. And and he and it wasn't easy for him, as you know. He battled injuries and some and yeah. uh, you know a lot of a lot of tough stuff. So, all right. So you go from Iowa. Now I I have a I have a former player who wanted me to make sure uh, that that you realize that the Sheffield Sharks really had your number, Justin <laughs> just Justin Phoenix, uh, one of my former players. Awesome, and, Justin uh, Phoenix, man. Yeah, big big guy. A good player. He was a good player. He told me yeah. about the time that uh, they were late coming over to play you guys. The game didn't start till nine, nine or nine thirty at night. And uh, your your rival, Chris Finch, who may be a head coach here soon, hopefully. But you uh, and, and I'm joking about that. We'll get into that stuff. But yeah. you go to you go to England, and people don't associate England with basketball. And you and I both know it's not quite the level of some other parts of Europe, but tell me and tell listeners about the journey to England. You played at Northern Iowa. You were an outstanding shooter, really good player. You go to England. Why? <laughs> well, I went to England a couple different times. So I, so the first time I went, 
Um, I'll tell you, I was I played at Northern Iowa, as you mentioned, for Eldon Miller, one of the great college coaches of all time. Um, I got a degree in accounting, but um, as my as my basketball career was ending, I I was like knew I wasn't going to play um, much after college, and and um, told coach I wanted to coach. I you know I loved the game, and I couldn't see myself you know, working as an accountant quite yet and wanted to give coaching a try. So I was a, a student assistant for him on the 1990 team. That that was actually the first team ever from Northern Iowa that went to the NCAA tournament. Um, anyway, um, during the middle of that season, I got a call to, to go play professionally. And uh, that was in Brazil. And so I started you know, I went and talked to coach. He said, yeah, you ought to go play, take the job. It'd be a good experience. So I got in, you know, back in kind of game level shape and was getting ready to go and it kind of fell through and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, I decided, well, geez, I'll maybe explore going to play. And um, in, in about a 48-hour time frame, I got an offer for a job in Bonn, Germany, to go play point guard. And then this guy called me from Derby, England, and said, hey, I want you to be player coach. And I said, that's interesting. I said, you know, I was 22 years old. I was like, I do want to coach. I know I want to coach now. So, okay, I'll do it. And literally four nights later, I was on a plane headed to, headed to Derby, England without really knowing what the, what the heck I was going to do. But I was going to play some hoop and coach some ball. And, and um, away we went. And then the second time around, I went, um, I was an assistant at the University of South Dakota for Dave Boots, another great, great college basketball coach. And um, um, I just wanted to get back as a head coach because I just wanted to get some head coaching experience. The Birmingham Bullets offered me a job. And that's really all I was doing was going, going to get some head coaching experience and studying the game and to see if I was any good at at coaching yeah. basketball. Tell, tell, tell us what the uniqueness of coaching in England is compared to uh, any other place in Europe. Well, listen, it was a little better than it's given credit for, right? I think, I think there, was, um, there was 13 teams in the, in the top league, probably eight or nine American coaches, you know, and some guys that could coach and some guys that left England and are coaching at pretty high levels. You know, right now you mentioned Chris Finch, uh, Man, there, there's a bunch of guys coaching in college that that, yeah. that were Bob, there. Bobby Donawall, Bobby Donawald, I think was Bob in England. Donawald, Billy yep. Mims, yeah. uh, Lance Randall. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a there's a bunch of names. Anyway, um, and, and we had a lot of them. I think in my second year there, they they had a five American rule, so every team had five American players. You know, the Bosman rule opened up the borders of Europe, and well, what happened was most of the best British players ended up going to where there was more money. So they needed to kind of, uh, with the budgets allowed, um, open up, you know, a little bit more of an import rule. So you think about that. You had five Americans on every team. Uh, it was it was a, like an undersized, athletic, pretty competitive league up and down the 13 teams. So uh, better than people gave it credit for. There was, a, there was a kind of a heyday there from 90 – seven to maybe 2002 when it was on TV every Saturday night, a bunch of cities put up some, some fairly good size arenas. You know, I think, I think one of the years in Birmingham, we averaged about 7,000 fans a game. Um, 
but it was kind of condensed. It was, it was all done. You know, they say England's an island, and it was all done there. And it was kind of coaching-wise, you were on an island a little bit. You were different than being here, that's for sure, where, you, where you're talking ball with a lot of coaches all the time, and there's clinics and all kinds of things you can do. It was kind of – you were kind of sequestered there on your own trying to learn the game, and that's – it was okay. It was, it was a good good atmosphere for me to do that. Given given that you've been in the G League, won a championship, uh, you know, now successful NBA head coach, when you think back of your early days as a head coach in, in England – you're known for being creative. You're known for, you know, throwing a box and one out there or mixing things up that, what was that defense? TMZ or DMT. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to zoner, zoner manor trapper. Yeah. That sounds like uh, something that sounds like something you probably put in a spur of the moment. Uh, yeah. That but, was uh, a, was an interesting one it was an interesting one well here's what i'm asking you 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 how did your coaching philosophy begin to to evolve by coaching in a place where you could be creative and like nobody back in the states really cared nobody if you cared. made coaching mistakes yeah and, and i think uh you know, like, like the ZMT story is a really good story. I think, uh, I mean, it really is from a lot of stamp, from a lot of, a lot yeah. of perspective. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story real quick. I, well, it's I, a great coaching story. Yeah, it was 95, 96. It was my first year in England. Um, this team, the Birmingham Bullets had never finished like above 500 in their 20 year history, but I was, you know, I was there coaching them and we had some pretty good players well, the team that was great was was called the London Towers. They'd won, I don't know, like it's kind of like the Warriors. They'd won like five in a row or, or nine out of the last ten titles. And and I figured um, I'm going to go watch them as much as I can. So I used to get in my car, like every chance I could, drive 90 miles down the motorway to to Wembley Stadium where they played Wembley Arena, and I'd watch them. And I'd sit in the front row and watch them night after night. I'd you know drive bad, drive bad. They you know they were they were chuckling at me they were seeing me so much in their own arena but I was trying to see what the best team in the in the league had and I'd come out of there in my long drive homes thinking about it I said man they got these two guys Steve Bucknell played at North Carolina played for the Lakers a little bit and Danny Lewis who pretty much do all the scoring and all the assisting and I would watch game after game after game and when it finally came time to play them in like February I sat down with my team and I said listen we're going to try to take these two guys completely out we're going we're gonna to face guard them with two guys, man-to-man, full court. These two guys are going to work their tails off for three minutes, and I'll sub two more guys in to, to take over that rigorous job. I, put a, I set a triangle back at the, at the zone and told the two big guys on the block, just protect the rim and get all the misses. Don't leave, don't leave too far away. We're going to have to give up something, but just let's not give them any second shots. And then the guy at the top of the triangle, cover this area, but if Bucknell or Lewis ever get the ball, leave there. Go trap them when they give it up. Then come back to your kind of your home base. So there's there's the, the there's two zoners, two manners, and one trapper. So there's the, there's the ZMT and 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 it worked. It was funny because obviously there were a lot of open shots and we got to halftime. I think we we're down about eight at half and. I went in. I said, "All right, guys. I think I think this experiment." And they and the guys were like, "No, no, no. This yeah. let's stay with it, coach. <laughs> this is where it's going to get good." And and I and you're right. You know, it worked. I think we won seventy six, seventy two. So obviously, um, uh, you know, all my all my driving up and down the motorway paid off for for one win. <laughs> but it, but in a way, in a way, in a when you're coaching in the NBA on a given night, there's some nights you're going to leave one guy open so that you can help on a superstar, right? So. 
I guess that's what I'm asking. You, you're, it seemed to me in reading the book, the book's called Rapture. It's an amazing book by Nick Nurse, forward by Phil Jackson. And, and, and I love Flathead Lake, by the way. See, that's another place we have awesome. in common. But um, it, in some ways, like the way you learn to coach over there and then in the G League, it almost sets you up for coaching night in, night out against the best players in the world, I'm guessing. Well, I think, um, you know, I always, I always told people um, I probably had a thousand games under my belt before I got the Raptors head coaching job. And then, as you know, I probably had another thousand unofficial, you know, like, like uh, coaching the summer league at Treviso, coaching Adidas Nations, coaching basketball without borders, coaching any, any little group of guys I could get my hands on in the summer, coaching in the USBL, coaching in the Long Beach summer league when it was, you know, I just was always trying to grab a group and get them to play hard, develop chemistry, teach them some roles. Even if it was for a three or four day camp, that's valuable experience in my opinion. And that, that, that I think gets you ready for coaching, right? Yeah. I, I think what you, uh, again, the, 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 I, I love the book cause I'm a junkie, but I also think young coaches should read the book because, uh, and I know you want to sell the book to more than just young coaches, but Young coaches should read the book because your journey, it may not, they may not be going to England to start their career, but you know, we all started somewhere, unless you were a player at Carolina or Kansas, uh, a lot of guys start like you and, uh, and have, you know, in your case had the good fortune to make good moves to put yourself in position to, to show people how you could coach. Um, Phil Jackson, Alec, Alex McKechnie is a well-known he's with you now, right? He's, He's one of the gurus of sports science in the world, and he's with you as your a sports science guy. And I wanted to—I mentioned Phil Jackson. I want you to tell the story because one of the things about being in England was you didn't get a lot of basketball to watch. Yeah. So you you're watching you're watching Chicago Bulls and and studying the triangle. And tell me about that. You're 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 there, kind of focusing on basketball, and you and there's no ESPN, there's no internet, there's no YouTube. And how did Phil Jackson influence your career without him knowing it? Yeah, that's exactly right. I would say he's my he was my mentor, and he didn't he didn't know that. <laughs> well, that, that like you mentioned, uh, pre-internet, free pre every game in the world being on TV at, at your fingertips. Um, found this company called Pontel. They're Germany slash Switzerland that would send me a. A VHS tape, and we may have to describe that to our younger listeners. They don't know what a VHS. <laughs> we got, I would every Friday. I could, I could, almost like clockwork. They would deliver a two VHS tapes with all the previous week's Bulls games on them. My team was running the triangle offense. Um, we would sit down with my, you know, my American players. They wanted to watch the games too, and we'd look at all these different starts to the offense and things we could do, and all these different options. Um, made it fun, but then, you know, what really happened for me, I mean, like I said, I probably watched each game 20 times. There was really nothing else to watch. And what made it fun for me or what sunk into me is I was watching Phil's timeouts and his substitutions and his late quarter plays and his end of game plays and his pressure defense and, and really the rhythm, how he moved. And, and I think I was learning a lot from him um, by letting all those games sink in. And then, as you mentioned, Alex McKechnie on the first day I get the job, you know, comes in the office and says, you want to talk to Phil? And I said, sure. And the next thing you know, Phil was gracious enough to invite me out to Montana. And I spent three, 
three full days with him out there and and um it's really a thrill and you know really surreal and all this stuff for yeah, me to yeah to be able to drive around in his truck with him and, t- and talk basketball you know <laughs> he, ch- he cherries him and studying him for all those years you know yeah I, I i it seems to me in watching your philosophy that uh probably what you got out of it was more the connection to players than x and o stuff i i could be wrong but it seemed well, like you know I, I always say this. I, I, I don't know why I picked this number, Fran, but I always say the X and O stuff's about 15% of the job. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Uh, it's, a, it's a really important 15%. I think, I think like in my career, there's, there's been a number of times where I've walked up in front of a team, and whether it was in England or Belgium or the G League or even the Raptors, where most of the team's saying, who in the hell is this guy? Right, you know, and, and yeah. that fifteen percent of the X and O's better be pretty sharp because that's how you're going to gain some trust quickly and open up the communication, and then letting them letting them um, they'll let you lead them a little bit more. I think if if but you know, so that fifteen percent is a small part of it, but a very important small part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. The 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 developing chemistry, the trying to shape roles the motivational side, the sports psychology side, the human performance side. You know, I really, I really tried to dig in and, and study all those facets of, of becoming, and I just wanted to be as good as I could be. And I thought if I could learn more about all those yeah. areas and maybe I would improve and be able to help players get better. I, I don't, I don't want to gloss over the G league because you had a great run there. I, I but I don't want to waste your time because um, we appreciate you being on with us. How do you coach an NBA star when you become an assistant in a league and nobody knows you? Well, I think a little bit like I just mentioned. I think I think you're under the gun up there, Frank. You know, when you when you walk up in front of the team for your first scouting report, um, that again they're wondering, you know what, you know, I, I'm not sure the attention is great or the focus is great. But when you lay out a plan, they want to be coached. They want a plan. They want you right. to put them in position to succeed. And if you can do that, then you're going to gain some respect and then you're going to de- start developing those relationships. And I think that's all it boils down to. A couple more questions. I know you got to go. Uh, hardest thing about winning in the NBA? Oh, man, everybody's good. Every team's mm-hmm. good. Even, even, even the teams or people say, oh, the East isn't any good. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Even the teams that aren't in, aren't in contention are, are hard to beat. You know, late in the year, you know, the teams that are out of the playoff race are some of the hardest teams to beat because all their guys are playing for contracts. I mean, playing their brain, you know, there's, there's always a night you gotta, you gotta bring it. You gotta bring something to get a W in this league every night because of the talent level so high. Uh, final question, because this is world of basketball and we cover the world of basketball. You've been very lucky uh, in your career um, to, to coach in England and Belgium, come back home to the States. Uh, you coach Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siakam, uh, Marcus Gasol. The league is now almost a quarter of the league is born outside the United States. What have the international guys brought to the NBA? And more specifically, what? give me something about them when you coach them in, in Toronto that you say, wow, you know, uh, I'm not sure a kid in Chicago or Detroit gets it like these guys do. Yeah, I'm not sure I would ever say anything like that, Fran. What I think they bring the league is is some originality, some difference, mm-hmm. um, uh, totality of of the world uh, that I that I think is awesome. You know, it's yeah. one of the things I love about Toronto. It's such an international city. You can you can you can see the whole world walking down the street here. Yeah. And I think it's <laughs> cool that the that 
NBA fans can see the whole world by, by turning on the television and watching a game. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, hey, Nick, the name of the book, I told you I try to get it in seven times, Rapture, 15 teams, four countries, one NBA championship, and a, how to find a way to win damn near anywhere. You have in some unique places. Uh, congrats again on a great run. Uh, I know people back in the central Iowa are proud of you and uh, uh, happy for your success. You've earned it. And uh, all the best with the book. Get some rest. And then whenever you guys are back on the court, we'll see you hopefully in the next few months. All right, man. Really a pleasure to be on with you, Coach. Thanks, Nick. Many thanks to Nick Nurse, the coach of the Raptors. Uh, uh, just a great 35-minute conversation with him. Lots of fun. Lots of insight. A great story. And his book, Rapture, is a great story as well. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't forget to pick it up. It's, great. it's a great read. You'll really enjoy it. tells you a lot about a guy who was an outsider who's now an insider in the NBA, but the road was not easy, and uh, it fits what we're doing on World of Basketball because uh, this is what we love. We, we're not just talking hoops, but we're talking about it from an angle that uh, is connected to many of my friends around the basketball world. Uh, and as you know, uh, we're, we're enjoying doing this, and if you like what we're doing, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple. Uh, send us a review. Give us a review. Hopefully, you'll give us a five-star rating so people can pay attention to what we're doing. And uh, we are really enjoying this. And uh, because we're really enjoying it, I promise to bring you uh, next week to another place in my world of basketball. <laughs>